0: Hello there, friends. This is Spencer Michaud, and welcome to your weekly astrology forecast for the week of July 6th through July the 12th. I hope that you're having a good summer, a good uh, 4th of July weekend here. Um, I am doing my best to beat the heat. I've got a a very old um, house that I live in that does not have central air. We've got some window units, but I'm in a room that doesn't have air conditioning. So if you see me dabbing my forehead with the uh, the old sweat rag. <laughs> Please forgive me in advance. Um, got some interesting astrology to get to this week. Uh, on Monday, the 6th, uh, the moon, I'm sorry, the sun will be conjoining the fixed star Sirius at 14 degrees of Cancer. We'll talk a little bit about the, the dog star. Um, the moon will escape the bond on, the, on, the, um, on that day as well uh, as we move forward from our eclipse that we had on the 5th. Uh, On Tuesday, the 7th, uh, which is my birthday, uh, the sun will be conjoining the fixed star Canopus at 15 degrees of Cancer. And on Wednesday, uh, July the 8th, Mars will be making a square uh, to Mercury retrograde at six degrees of Aries and Cancer. On Saturday, the 11th, Venus will be conjoining the fixed star Aldebaran, the eye of the bull. And then on Sunday, the 12th, Mercury stations direct at five degrees of Cancer. The sun will conjoin the fixed star Castor at 20 degrees of Cancer. It will also trine Neptune at 20 degrees of Pisces. And then we have our last quarter moon, where we have the moon in Aries at 21 degrees, making a square to the sun at 21 degrees as well. Um, And we'll talk a little bit about the sun in the third decade of Cancer, and Mercury emerging as the morning star that day. So that's a little bit of your overview for the for the week. Um, I'm going to share my my chart here. Okay, hold on one second. Getting it all, trying to get, make streamline the process this week. So there you go. You could see. Uh, my chart, um, the two wheels there, hopefully. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk about the planetary condition, basically the planetary condition report here first, and then we'll go into our dailies and talk a little bit about some of the fixed star mythology, as well as all the aspects that are perfecting over the course of our next few days. Um, Just a heads up, if you don't make it to the end of this, uh, I will be giving a talk at the Great Lakes Astrology Conference, which is happening. Um, from July 9th through the 13th, my talk will be on Tarot and the Thema Mundi uh, on Friday, the 10th at 10 a.m. So, if you're interested, check that out. I believe there's another astrology conference going on the same weekend, the uh, the Queer Astrology Conference. So, if you're um, feeling ambitious and you want to do do both, that that is a, a possibility. But keep your eyes peeled for that. That's a, uh, both of those will be cool events, and um, hopefully, I'll be able to. Shed some light on some of the Decanic Tarot meanings and, and um, you know, give you a good, good lecture. So mark your calendar. Okay, so the planetary condition report for the week. Uh, the sun will be moving through the second and third decan of Cancer where it is Peregrine. Uh, it will be moving from 14 degrees, as I stated, where Sirius is, to 21 degrees where it will be very close to the fixed star Castor, which is part of the constellation Gemini. Um, we, we talked about last week about the, the, the difference between the, the tropical zodiac and the constellations. Um, I had a, a gentleman ask me why I didn't use the sidereal zodiac, and that is a good question. And I guess my quick answer to that is that the system that I was trained in, Hellenistic astrology, uses the tropical zodiac. So that is what I'm using for now, but that might be something to look into as I move forward with my studies I know that Vedic and Jyotisha astrologers use the sidereal system, and um, I'm open-minded. I, I'm, I'm very curious about that, uh, about Vedic astrology in general. Um, I think that I'm, I've been trying to really focus on learning the ins and outs of Hellenistic first uh, without trying to confuse myself with too many, too many different systems, um, but I feel like I've got a decent grasp on Hellenistic astrology at this point. Maybe I'll start branching out. We'll see. Um, so the sun will be moving through the terms of Mercury from 13 to 19 degrees, and then it'll be in the terms of Jupiter from 19 to 26 degrees. It will be conjoining or co-present, not co-joining, but co-present. It, it co-joined last week or, or was, uh, went into its Kazemi phase uh, with Mercury. So it will be still co-present with Mercury retrograding Cancer. It is receiving an overcoming square From Mars this week. So now that Mars is in Aries, it is uh, sending some challenging rays to the Sun and Mercury. So, kind of, you know, giving us a spicy experience with both of those planets right now. Um, It will be the Sun will be opposite Jupiter and Saturn uh, and Pluto in the sign of Capricorn, all three of which are retrograde right now. Um, And we were at the beginning of the week, we're experiencing an opposition with the with the moon still as well as we move out of our eclipse energy. Uh, the sun is being hosted right now by a waxing, I'm sorry, I'm a waning moon that is in the full phase to begin the week and then moving towards the last quarter square phase by the end of the week. Okay. Um, Saturn will be retrograde this week in the third decan of Capricorn. It has moved back into its nocturnal domicile. It will be in the terms of Mars from 26 to 30 degrees. It will be co-present in the same sign as Jupiter retrograde and Pluto retrograde. It is making an overcoming square to Mars in Aries. So it sort of has the upper hand on Aries right now, or on, I'm sorry, on Mars. And it is in an opposition with the Sun and Mercury. It is in its own domicile. So it is, it is its own host right now. It is uh, being provided all the resources it needs in its own Basically, staying in its own estate, uh, and those resources are contraction, death, darkness, uh, structure, um, the building of structures, but also the tearing down of structures. Um, sometimes we can think of it as mental discipline, uh, things of that nature, doing the hard work that we need to do uh, to potentially bring bring balance back to something that may have been may have fallen into ignorance. So. Keep your eyes peeled for all that going on this week. Uh, Jupiter will be retrograding in the sign of Capricorn as well, where it is in its fall. Not a comfortable place for Jupiter. It will be in the terms of Saturn from 22 to 26 degrees. It will also be co-present with its host, Saturn, and with Pluto retrograde in Capricorn. It is also making an overcoming square to Mars and Aries and opposing the Sun and Mercury in Cancer. It, of course, is hosted by Saturn that we just talked about. Um, so it will be. It has resources to do what it what it uh, what it is being asked to do, but it's not something that is comfortable for that planet right now. Jupiter is a planet that likes to uh, confirm things. It likes to be a bridge. It likes to expand and promote growth. And it is in a sign or a temple right now that is more concerned with. Um, death, decay, uh, composting, and you know, structure. So, not a comfortable place for our, for our friend uh, Zeus right now. Uh, Mars is in its own domicile, its diurnal home of Aries, in moving through the first face of Aries this week, where it is, like I said, in its own domicile, and it also has some dignity by face. It is in the terms of Jupiter from 0 to 6 degrees and then the terms of Venus from 6 to 12 degrees. It is being squared uh, in the overcoming position by Saturn, Jupiter, and Pluto. So you could see what I'm talking about when I mean the overcoming position is we have uh, different positions in the zodiac and in the Hellenistic system, they believed that the planet that was on the uh, right-hand side of center. So this would be considered the right-hand side if you're looking out this way, okay? It was said to have the upper hand um, because it was earlier in the Zodiac and it was following behind the other planet. So that, that planet is exerting its will or has some kind of power over that planet. Now, conversely, that the planet that is in the That is not in the superior position will be casting a ray back to that planet, and if it's a malefic like Mars, will be harming it. Um, So this is kind of a mixed bag for Mars this week because it's receiving a very difficult square from Saturn, but it is receiving uh, some help in the in the superior position from Jupiter. So, like I said, I would say Saturn is definitely in the driver's seat, but Jupiter is attempting to to add something to the mix, even though it is at one of its weakest positions in the zodiac right now. Okay. Uh, Let's see, Venus. Venus is moving through the first and second decan of Gemini this week from seven to 10 degrees. Uh, It will be conjoining the fixed star Aldebaran at about 10 degrees of Gemini, so we'll explore that. Um, It is in the terms of Jupiter from 6 to 12 degrees, and it is receiving a sextile from Mars in Aries. Its host, Mercury, is in aversion to it, which means that it is in a blind spot. Um, So it is very difficult for Mercury to provide the types of resources that uh, Venus requires right now being in the domicile of Gemini because it it isn't really aware that it's there. Its host is also uh, stationing this week. So it's slowing way down and turning from retrograde motion to direct motion. So, uh, so there will be possibly some shifts in our relationships, but we may not get the clarity yet that we're looking for since, um, Venus is still moving through a sign where it's in aversion to its host. Um, Mercury will be moving through the sign of cancer. The first decan this week, it is moving, uh, slowing or grinding to a halt and and turning direct on the 12th, um, early in the morning on on July the 12th. It is peregrine, uh, as as was Venus in the sign of Gemini. Uh, Mercury will be in the terms of Mars from zero to seven degrees. It will be conjoining uh, or co-present. I'm sorry, I did the same thing twice. It will be co-present with the sun, and it will be emerging as the morning star at the end of the week. Um, which means that it will be mer- emerging from under the beams. So in the beginning of the week, uh, Mercury is hidden under the beams of the sun, but by the end of the week it will emerge and there will be some kind, that is a, called a condition of phasis, an omen that is speaking perhaps a little bit louder. So we may get some idea about what that Mercury-Kazemi cycle that we experienced last week is going to be all about, the new Mercury cycle that's going to last us for quite some weeks ahead. So we're, we might be able to have some more awareness, at, like where, we, where Mercury becomes visible. So our idea becomes visible and sees the light of day uh, underneath coming out of that furnace of renewal. Um, Mercury will also be receiving an overcoming square from Mars and Aries. So heating up some of the conversations that we have and making it a little bit, uh, like I said, a little bit spicy of our communication and, and perhaps our thoughts are, are racing um, and we are getting perhaps a little bit more angry um, in our communication and, and maybe a little bit more difficult to, to find consensus in the way that we speak with one another this week. Mercury is also uh, opposing uh, Jupiter, Saturn, and Pluto, which are all retrograde as well. So those planets are also giving us uh, some hardship to the planet Mercury this week. Mercury's host, the Moon, will be uh, waning from that full moon eclipse phase to the last quarter phase as well. So some shifts uh, with, with Mercury in the sign of cancer. Um, the moon will be waning from the full moon phase to the last quarter phase. Uh, it will be in the sign of Capricorn in its exile, where it also has some rulership by triplicity in the nighttime. When it moves into Aquarius, it will have some dignity in the third phase of Aquarius. And then it will be peregrine in the sign of Pisces and Aries. It will escape from the bond on Monday the sixth at 29 degrees of Capricorn at about 6 a.m., where it join Saturn and then makes a square with Mars. So, to, uh, regardless of what, whether we're considering um, Saturn, the first aspect or Mars, it's going to be a its its contact is going to be with a malefic planet. So, we always look for at the New and full moons. What happens? What what is the first aspect that the moon makes after it comes out of that bond or that fifteen degree? Um, you know, be, being under the under the sun's beams or opposing the sun's beams. So this may be a tough one. This may be a tough full moon cycle that we're experiencing because the first aspect, no matter which way we look at it, is going to be with a malefic planet. Um, so we'll try to uh, unpack that a little bit as well. Okay, let's move forward. So that is the planetary condition report for the week. Let's go to Monday. Everybody doing all right? Having a good holiday weekend? I remember last week I talked about the, the dueling needs of trying to celebrate, but it being a little bit more challenging because of the, the necessity of our circumstances that we're working through. And uh, I've definitely felt that myself as well. As we try to make plans and try to figure out what I want to do for my for my birthday, <laughs> like um, I'm a little little skittish about about traveling right now. Um, but we'll try to figure out something nice, and I'll try to be with the people that I care about, even if it's not in person. Maybe we'll do some Zoom Zooming and whatnot. Um, but let's move to monday the 6th uh monday the 6th the moon starts out in capricorn and as i mentioned it is escaping the bond at about 29 degrees and making that conjunction to saturn now i'm i'm not 100% certain that's the first quote unquote aspect because uh it will escape the bond slightly after making the conjunction as it's starting to separate from saturn but i I have to believe that there's going to be some part of this being part of the conversation because it's just such a tight aspect it's only maybe 10 minutes of of separation so um i think it's kind of a combination we may get both malefics you know in this in the story here uh the contraction energy of saturn and the the um aggressive Speeding up energy of Mars, and those—that's some of the interplay that we're seeing throughout the rest of our summer here. Is kind of the, you know, the desire to take action, but the uh, necessity of slowing down. Um, So, yeah, I get it. It's gonna be—it's gonna be a frustrating summer, Um, and we have to kind of try to make the best of it, right? The other thing that we're seeing on Monday is the conjoining of the Sun with the fixed star. Sirius at 14 degrees of Cancer, okay? And I'm going to switch over in a minute and show you what we're looking at when we're looking at that fixed star. Um, But just moving through a couple other lunar aspects for the day, Uh, at 5.35 a.m., that is when we're going to see the conjunction of the moon to retrograde Saturn at 29 degrees. Then the moon will move into Aquarius, where it moves out of its exile at 6.08 a.m., And and then the moon will make a sextile to Mars and Aries at five degrees of Aquarius. And finally, in the evening, the moon will make a trine to Venus and Gemini at seven degrees of Aquarius and Gemini, respectively. Uh, So we've got some, you know, one particular challenging conjunction with a malefic. We've got a a harmonious aspect with a malefic. uh, And then we've got a trine with a benefic moving through the end of our day. Now let's move to our sky chart here and we'll talk a little bit about Sirius for a minute and then we'll move forward to uh, Canopus because I think that's we'll do those at the same time. So there we go. Switching back and forth, I've streamlined it. Okay, so what we're looking at here is my program Starry Night Pro. where We're seeing the, the night sky and if you're wondering what you're looking at, this is the horizon line. I'll add the horizon in just for a minute So you can see that we're facing south. Uh, We are looking at the green line is the ecliptic or the path of the sun as it appears across the horizon. This red line is the projection of the equator out into the heavens, which it is called the celestial equator. Um, So we are seeing a projection of the, the grid lines that will help us to find Um, how the ecliptical degrees will match up with the constellation degrees of the stars. And I went a little bit more in depth with that last week, but the basic gist of it is what we're doing, there's a couple different ways of looking at fixed stars. One is the concept of parans. And parans was uh, a technique where we're looking at a relationship between a fixed star rising and a planet that was either on the same angle or on a different angle, like the Midheaven, uh, the the Descendant, or on the Nadir. So there were some uh, ancient authors that thought there was a relationship between that. And that is um, how Bernadette Brady uses her fixed stars in, in her very seminal work on fixed stars in the modern era. Um, what I've been doing lately, though, is just using the projected ecliptical degree where we're extending out the degree of the ecliptic, and seeing if there's any fixed stars in alignment with it. And uh, this is something that I've been kind of asking a lot of fellow astrologers and how they do it and getting a lot of different opinions and whatnot. But this is seemingly, this has been working for me uh, pretty well so far. This was something that I believe that Ptolemy did um, in one of his um, astronomical works was he kind of cataloged, All these fixed stars, you know, based on a projected ecliptical degree. Now, last week, this played out with the fixed star uh, Merzims, which was called the announcer. That was the fixed star in the paw of the dog, of Canis, the dog. And I'm going to take away the horizon here again, okay? Because now we can see here is Canis down here, okay? And we saw Merzims here in the paw and Sirius. Here in the, the nose or the mouth. And what was interesting about Merzims is Merzims rose. Okay, if we if we put Sirius on the horizon here, Merzims was a fixed star that, that rose in the east before Sirius. So they called it the announcer. So I kind of thought about this and said, well, perhaps we'll see some important announcement um, on that day when the sun is conjoining that. And sure enough, we had a, an announcement from the Supreme Court in the United States that some, there was a law in Louisiana related to abortion that was uh, deemed, I believe, either unlawful or they were upholding some protections for for abortion rights in, in that particular state. And it was a very landmark decision at that point, um, because it will set a precedent for, for some other cases. And what was very cool about that is that uh, we were seeing a a sextile from Uranus to, to that point. Um, and Uranus was at about, I believe, between seven and nine degrees of Taurus at that point. And it was conjoining a fixed star in the constellation Cassiopeia, which was uh, speaking about female sovereignty and female empowerment. So we saw a, an announcement, Mersims, uh, that was, had a connection with female sovereignty and female empowerment. To choose uh, what to do with their own bodies, so I thought that was pretty cool. I posted about that on Facebook, and it's kind of neat to see it in action. Uh, And I'm just curious to see how this uh, continues to play out. I this is kind of something new that I'm that I'm playing with, so we'll we'll just keep uh, keep working through it. And again, maybe I will uh, get some more information about the sidereal zodiac that might cause me to change my mind about that, but we'll have to see. Um, So here's what we're looking at here with the fixed star Sirius. So we've talked about Sirius in a few weeks prior when we had, um, I believe, Mercury was retrograding on the degree of Sirius. And if we look here, we have Sirius right here in the nose of the dog in the constellation Canis Major. Uh, this was one of Orion's hunting dogs, and he is up in a begging position, and he's also keeping one watchful eye on the hare, lupus. Okay, so this is the constellation lupus here. And we've got Orion. I believe this is Orion the hunter. This might actually be Hercules. Uh, well, let's see. I don't want to confuse this, the issue too much here, but... Yeah, I think this is Orion here. So um, with Canis Major, we have uh, the loyal hunting dog in the begging position watching Lupus the hare. Uh, The Egyptians thought of this as Anubis, the the god of mummification and one of the guardians of the underworld. The Greeks uh, thought of this as Cerberus, the guard dog of Hades, which was another guardian of the underworld. Um, We talked about the Isis myth with Sirius, where they talked about Isis um, seeking out to reclaim uh, the pieces of Osiris that had been severed by her brother Set and collecting them so that she could uh, mate with the body of of Osiris to create uh, or become pregnant and then bore the child Horus which was associated with vision and the eye of Horus. Um, Osiris was not able to be kept together. So one of the things we've been talking about with uh, serious placements is um, we may have to bri- collect the pieces of something, but not to reclaim something that is uh, shown to be obsolete or in the past. It is to birth something new. And we may have to go into the underworld to to reclaim those pieces and and into the depths of our psyches and and into the dark spaces in our lives. Uh, So this is something that we may that may come to our awareness as well. They also thought of Sirius as uh, a quest for immortality, which could be related to that Isis myth as well. Um, Some of the literature that I've read through Bernardette Brady and others speaks to the um, the passion of the search or the quest, almost like a grail quest. And it's like this, you're, you're almost pursuing divinity, but at the expense of the body, okay? And it is some, sometimes when you're working so hard that you may like forget to eat or you may forget to sleep or you may really, uh, you know, put your body through the ringer in pursuit of some kind of goal that has some kind of higher meaning or higher purpose for you. And This is something I can relate to. I, I, you know, we're talking about the area of the zodiac here that, uh, that where I was born. So, um, Sirius being the brightest star uh, in that constellation and in this area of the zodiac definitely has a lot of effect. So, um, I have had times in my life where I've been pursuing a a goal that was important to me. Where um, I may have lost track of some of my material reality. This happened when I was a musician and, and working through um, some of my creative projects. I was very, uh, very much a perfectionist about what I wanted it to sound like and had very high ideals about it. And, and there were times where I was uh, pursuing that almost at my own expense. And we'll talk about that when we talk about Canopus too, because there's, I can definitely hear uh, some truth in the Canopus myth, in, in my own personal story as well, and I'll tell you some anecdotes about that when we get to Canopus. But uh, that's what we're experiencing with the sun conjoining that fixed star. Uh, by ecliptical degree, we're projecting it out down to the, the dog star there, okay? And uh, so this may be where we feel a real need to devote ourselves to some sort of cause as well. Um, I know that that's been one of the themes of the summer so far we talked about that with the fixed star alhena which was on the other side of the celestial equator here in the heel of the twins okay this is in the heel of pollux one of the twins okay so right now sidereally we have the sun in the sign of gemini but tropically we have it in the sign of cancer Okay, so moving forward to Tuesday the 7th, okay, we'll go back for a second and look at our chart. Hopefully, you'll be able to follow along um, when I switch back and forth, and it won't be too jarring, but what we are seeing here is the sun will be at 15 degrees. Um, It is my birthday, happy birthday to me, and my solar return. Uh, my, My particular sun is at 15 degrees and 33 minutes of cancer, so I'll be experiencing my Solar return around this period of time Um, the moon will be in uh, Aquarius still in the full moon phase it will be squaring Uranus at 1237 a.m. at 10 degrees of Aquarius and Taurus respectively and then it will be conjoining that fixed star Canopus okay so let's talk about the fixed star Canopus. So here, here, if you want, if you want to know what my solar return chart looks like, it looks like this. <laughs> it's it's, it's going to be a, a a spicy one. Uh, I believe I have Mars right on the my solar return ascendant. My solar return ascendant is uh, Aries this year. So we'll see how that all goes. Um, but uh, it's a big birthday for me. I'll be I'm turning forty forty years old this year. So uh, we'll. It's, you're coming coming to terms I think a little bit with uh some of a sense of mortality and and um, sort of that middle age area where you're you know you're not a young you're not a young buck anymore but you're you know you still have some some energy uh, but also knowing that time is is doesn't last forever and coming to terms with that I think that's something that has been a, a theme for me as I stare down my fortieth birthday here so uh if you want to give me some encouragement as how life can get better after 40, i <laughs> appreciate it in the comments. I'm sure it's fine. Uh, I had some conversations with a friend that was much further along in the journey, and he was, you know, it's all relative, right? He was like, that's so young, that's so young. And my daughter thinks I'm ancient. So uh, it's, it's uh, like I said, very, very much relative age, ages. Um, so let's take a look at uh, our sky again. And as we move forward to the seventh, okay, here now we have uh, an alignment with the constellation of the Argo, the ship. So, what we're seeing here is here we have down very below the horizon here, we have this constellation which is called Carina or the heel, okay, which is part of a series of constellations that make up this great ship, okay, Argo. And if you're confused as to what I'm doing here, um, we've got that gray line as our horizon line, okay. We've got the green line again as the ecliptic and the red line as the celestial equator. So this great ship had... Many uh, was broken up into many constellations um, over the course of time. We had Carina, which was the keel, okay, this kind of bottom part of the ship here. We had uh, Puppis or Pupis, which was the stern, okay, and we had Vela, which was the sails, and Pyxis, which was the compass, okay. So we are looking at all of these different uh, constellations, but they all make up this great ship. So we have a lot of mythology associated with, with Argo, the ship. This, of course, was the great ship that was uh the ship of Jason and the Argonauts who were pursuing the Golden Fleece in, in the great uh epic Greek saga. Uh this um ship, this is an interesting, an interesting, uh, fascinating. I, I was looking up my synonyms a compelling. This is a compelling thing because this ship appears in northern latitudes to sail across this southern sky here, right? It kind of sails across here. And it was a ship that was associated with um, transporting the souls of the dead to the underworld. Okay, so th- first of all, that's one of the the significations where we're drawing meaning. So we're traveling to the unknown. And Canopus was the, the navigator of the ship. Okay? It, was, it was the you know, setting the course. And the modern equivalent of this ship and traveling into the unknown, I thought this was cool, Bernadette Brady mentioned this in her book, is the Starship Enterprise, the USS Enterprise of Star, of Star Trek uh, mythology. Um, and I believe that one of their, um, one of their uh, catchphrases is, to boldly go where no one has gone before. So that is one of the kind of the things that we're drawing upon with that Argo myth. So the human beings have this need to explore the unknown, and and you know we we look to the sky for some of these unknown things, and we thought of the underworld as this this um, mysterious place. At first, we thought we've thought of the oceans as a mysterious place, and now we have kind of this final frontier if I'm quoting Star Trek, which is, is space. And we think of that as, the, as the, this mysterious place now that is uh, a place to be explored. Um, over the course of history, this boat took on different meanings in different cultures. It was Noah's Ark in the, in the Christian mythology. Uh, it was, um, again, in the Egyptian mythology, we we're transporting the souls of the dead. Uh, I believe that it was being pulled by uh, Vishnu uh, in the in the Hindu mythology, I, I believe that craw- like it was, or a big fish was pushing it. I don't remember the story exactly. I didn't write that one in my notes. I apologize for that. But also, we can think of this star Canopus as being associated with uh, at the South Pole. Okay, they had this kind of uh, thought that we had a pole star, very much at the at the north. Okay, we had Polaris up here at the the northern section. And then we had the South Pole down here, okay, and this canopus was like the the um, a great weight of a plumb line, so a plumb line is like a line that you know keeps things straight it's a it's like a a, a giant weight that's attached to like a string um, to to show us kind of the the gravity of something um, and it is the 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 line that defines the poles and so th- there's some interesting symbolism associated with the planet Saturn and Canopus. And one of the, these stories speaks to uh, the heaviness of it, number one. Um, they also s- thought that uh, Saturn had a, um, or Kronos, had a great battle with the Titans and eventually was cast off of, uh, cast out of Olympus and landed in this, I believe it landed in the river. Um, one of the great rivers and we have that associated with canopus and eventually canopus is starting to kind of due to precession creep further north so again we had canopus thought of as a timekeeper as well with its association with saturn and it was creeping north to the uh, to the northern pole star visibly and they thought of this as like when the the southern Star Canopus reached the northern stars. That that would be like the end of time. So we we have this association with Saturn, like the timekeeper and and the the end of time. Okay, so uh, they thought of it as a star associated with death as well. Um, but it's a pathfinder, uh, and this this is a star that is conjoined, my son, almost exactly by ecliptical degree. Uh, so this is something where. I think if we 're trying to make it more practical, um, we have we 're trying to journey we 're trying to journey and explore into the unknown and as you may have seen through some of my uh, forecasts, I, I definitely consider myself an explorer i, I, I don 't like thinking of uh, you know what i 'm doing as, um, as a guru or an expert or anything. I am I'm, uh, a curious explorer that i 'm just doing a lot of studying myself. And what I like to do is share the stories that I come across, and, and to show and to share some of the knowledge that I have uh, that I have come in contact with as I go on this on this journey of of Jason and the Argonauts, you know, searching for the the golden fleece, or or searching through going into the underworld to bring some knowledge back. Um, so one of the things that they spoke about with Canopus in particular was that there was a severity associated with it, too. Um, And this may be through its association with Saturn, where we, Brady speaks of this particular fixed star as being an explorer, but also uh, the creation that was associated with this eventually could fall prey to destruction. Uh, And this was associated with that, the creeping of that star from those southern latitudes further north eventually Uh, heralding the end of time. So uh, some of the destructiveness uh, talks about being a little bit maybe controlling, a little bit like almost like a micromanager or somebody that uh, is very intense and has a certain way that they, they want things to go. And I can attest to this. I can admit that as a flaw of my own. Um, I, when I have a project that I'm working on, uh, I'm very intense about it. When I was working on my album, I'll share an, uh, a, a humbling anecdote um, or a, a humiliating one, which I guess would be a, a, something of that nature. And I was working on a uh, an album and working with an engineer and I was in the studio with this engineer and I had a certain way I wanted it to sound. We did many different takes of, of different vocals, and i was present for the um the editing process and during the editing process i think i got a little bit too like meticulous and detailed about how i wanted every tiny little note <laughs> and like eventually i got kicked out of the studio because the engineer was like i can't work like this uh you know this is not the way that i work and you know we will be in touch and I will send you mixes and you could say if you like this or not, but I can't have you hovering over my shoulder. And that, so that was a humbling experience for me. And I think definitely uh, in, an expression of that fixed star Canopus, um, you know, having an idea of where the, they want to go, but maybe being a little bit rigid about how to get there and being a little bit intense about it. So that's something I've, I've continually had to check in with myself when I'm working on projects, especially if I'm working um, with other people, because if I, I do the project myself, I have that control. But if I'm trying to team up with somebody, that's when some of that expression can come out because it is, it is difficult sometimes to relinquish um, control and relinquish power. So I would keep an eye out uh, for any situations where you have an idea of where you want to go, you're trying to explore something unknown, you're trying to create something potentially, but uh, not getting too fixated on how, uh, you, want to get, you want to be able to explore the essence of something instead of uh, being attached to how it gets done. I would say that that's been the greatest lesson that Canopus has taught me, is that there are many different ways, there are many different pathways there are many different winds and routes to uh, get to your destination, and sometimes the wind will be blowing in your favor sometimes there will be stillness um, but but not getting attached to one certain path can be very beneficial when you're experiencing Canopus energy. Sometimes you have to let the the winds of your life guide you and and try to ride that wind rather than being too um, attached to a certain direction. So that's what I've got for for Canopus. Um, fixed star mythology is very fun, and when we can see some of it play out in our own lives and have some recognition, especially if it's recognition that helps us to appreciate um, some of our own tendencies whether it's psychologically or or some of the stories that have played out in our lives that is where we get the quality of pronoia where we the foreknowledge of this can help us make a better decision in in our lives so for example if you have some canopus placements and you go through with ignorance and you didn't know that you may experience some of the the humbling experiences that i've been speaking about but with that knowledge you can see in Real time, when you may be uh, acting from that energy and make a different choice. Like, uh, I have someone that's helping me with a project right now, and and what I'm trying to do is uh, stay out of their way, <laughs> you know, until until uh, until it's you know mostly done, and then uh, if I have some feedback, I can give it, but but not necessarily have to be present every step of the way. And that that has been something that has been. Um, a great lesson, a great life lesson. Okay, so that's what we've got going on on Tuesday. We just have that one particular uh, moon aspect with Uranus, um, but that's what we're going to be drawing upon at the beginning of the week. Is these two fixed stars, Sirius and Canopus, and those are the two uh, I would say brightest or most important stars in the second decan of Cancer. So we have these fixed stars that are are informing through the tropical experience through the projection of those ecliptical degrees these different decanic um, experiences so if you've got a, a second dense decan cancer Sun in your life that may help you uh understand them a little bit better that there is definitely this search for immortality there is this perfectionism there there is this ability almost to um sacrifice their body in search of some kind of divine ideal uh, and then there is also this kind of maybe this need to uh to guide the ship and if you know that uh if you know that also that cancer is a cardinal sign cancer is a a sign that is a leader whether they are leading um they're they're not necessarily leading like an like an aries sun would which would be more direct but they are definitely uh a an energy that is trying to guide something and they're trying to guide the emotional energy of something towards some kind of goal. So if you can recognize that and and have patience with your cancerian folks that have different cancerian placements, and it's not not just limited to the sun, it could be uh, someone with a a cancer Venus or a cancer Mars or a cancer Mercury. Um, So hopefully that'll help you understand those qualities a little more. Let's go back to our chart for a period of time here and go forward to Wednesday the 8th. So on Wednesday the 8th, Uh, The moon will be in Aquarius moving into the sign of Pisces at 2.12 p.m. We are ending our 45 degree full moon phase and we are entering the disseminating phase where we're starting to distribute the ideas that came to light at the full moon. Now, the major aspect of the day is a square between Mars and Mercury. So you could see here that Mars at six degrees of Aries is making a, an overcoming square to retrograde Mercury at six degrees of Cancer. Uh, this position is still fairly close to that fixed star, Merzims, the announcer. Uh, and we have a very, um, a very hot, a very active, a very um, aggressive Mars that wants to take action. And this is informing the ways that we're communicating right now. And the ways that we're communicating are filtered through a very emotional lunar temple. Okay, so what I would um, encourage you to do is to make an attempt to slow down. If you are having a heated conversation, recognize that you are communicating uh, through a layer of emotion that your thoughts, your mercurial awareness, may be leaning towards questions of emotional security with that first decan of cancer and it being related to how we provide for one another, how we gain resources, and how we provide resources for others. Remember we we talked about that decan as being related to a, a mother and a child Uh, according to Austin Coppick's book, 36 Faces, and the union of body and soul with the two of cups in the Rider-Waite tarot. So we may be um, making an attempt to differentiate ourselves with Mars in that first decan of Aries. That decan was called the Axe or Dominion, okay? And the first decan of Cancer Uh, In the book T, or the book of Toth, was called love. So we may be feeling um, a desire to create a separate identity from those that we love with this particular aspect. Um, And that can create some tension. Uh, One of the things that we may see with this is that um, mothering, can very easily turn into smothering. So if we, if we have an overprotective type of mothering energy, that can be something that we may want to break free from. And this may be part of our Aries Mars story is, we, is with Mars in the first second of Aries, this is a double Mars ruled face by, by Chaldean order and by the triplicity system. And Austin Coppock called this face the, the axe, where we're getting an awareness of separate. We're trying to sever ourselves from the mother plant so or from the womb or, or something of that nature. We're, we're trying to emerge in a singular point of consciousness. And we may feel a, a burning desire to separate ourselves from some, uh, something that provided us nurturing in the past. And we're reviewing how we, how we gain our... Uh, our sustenance. Um, So that may necessitate some tough conversations. So what I would encourage you to do, though, is is to slow down, to try to figure out what your energy is versus someone else's energy. What are your goals versus someone else's goals? And see if you can uh, come to some kind of consensus through the friction of understanding that they are at odds with one another right now, and can you come to some kind of uh, middle ground as far as um, those two planets are concerned? Okay, but the challenging part about this is Mars is is overcoming Mercury, and our desire to create an individual identity may uh, do harm to our ability to communicate now and to provide. Um, nurturing for one another. So I think this could be an aspect that speaks to having some heated conversations, um, some sharp opinions, or some words that harm some very rash communications, uh, an anger that is, is causing a deep emotional wound. It would be very easy right now to say something in haste that could wound somebody in your life very deeply. Um, so, so I would say be very careful of that as you move forward through the beginning of your week, okay? Um, so let's move forward to Wednesday, July the 9th. Oops, uh-oh, went forward a few more days than wanted to. There we go. I'm sorry, Thursday. So what we just talked about, Wednesday, July the 8th, and now we'll talk about Thursday, July the 9th. On Thursday, July the 9th, the moon starts out in the sign of Pisces. In the disseminating phase, it will make a trine to retrograde Mercury at 1.34 a.m. at 5 degrees of Pisces and Cancer, respectively. It will then make a square to Venus in Gemini at 8 degrees at 7.14 a.m., and then a sextile to Uranus at ten degrees of Taurus at nine forty nine am. So we have a mixture of some uh, easy conversations with the Moon and one challenging one. So uh, this will probably be a continuation of dealing with the fallout from the perfection of that Mercury Mars square, uh, where we may be, f- you know, finally being able to find some kind of middle ground with somebody or with our or even internally within ourselves. Um, we're going to have to uh, have an awareness of what makes us separate and what makes us different and and try to hold dualities. Venus is moving through that first decade of Gemini right now where we're we may have a proliferation of options that we're working through, um, and that may cause us to go off in search of some new meaning. Um, and that moon is moving through the first deck and squaring the first decade of Venus uh, of Gemini there with Venus there. Um, That first decan of of Pisces speaks about going off on a quest or on a spiritual search. So many different options being presented to us right now, and we're trying to, to decipher which ones are going to serve our sense of individuality and our sense of what we need to feel like we're a part of something and feel like we have the emotional support we need to move forward. Now, complicating all this by whole sign is, you know, all of this stack up in the sign of Capricorn, with Saturn, Pluto, and Jupiter all opposing this and creating this kind of T-square by a whole sign. So there's a part of our life right now in Capricorn, the Capricorn area of our chart, that where we're really trying to let go of some old energy. Uh, we may be trying to initiate something new in the Aries part of our life, and it may be having an adverse effect on some of the ways that we create identity and communicate in the cancer area of our life so we have to kind of think about this as a whole okay so let's move forward to friday uh, july the 10th and on july the 10th uh, the moon is still moving through the sign of pisces in the disseminating phase it will make a trine the moon will make a trine to the sun at 18 degrees of pisces and cancer at 208 a.m it will then conjoin Neptune at 656 a.m. at 20 degrees of Pisces, and then the Moon will make a sextile to retrograde Jupiter at 10:46 a.m. Uh, at 22 degrees of Pisces and Capricorn. It will sextile retrograde Pluto at 12:51 p.m. in the early afternoon at 23 degrees of Capricorn there, and then make an, a sextile to retrograde Saturn at 11:48 p.m. at 29 degrees of pisces and capricorn respectively so again a pretty active lunar day where we have a mixture of uh mostly harmonious aspects we have a few sextiles which were of the nature of venus the lesser benefic we have one trine which is of the nature of jupiter the greater benefic and then a conjunction with jupiter here so a dr- kind of a dreamy day i would say uh where we are beginning our day with harmony with the lights. That is always kind of a nice experience where we have the lights are agreeing with one another. Okay, that this could be a good moment to have some positive conversations before we get to the more difficult experience of the first, I'm sorry, the last quarter moon at the end of the week when the moon moves into Aries where we may feel a little bit more tension. Um, just be careful that you're not overdoing the escapism, I guess this would be a good time to hang out. I, Maybe at, at a, I don't know, at a lake or something, depending on how you can do that uh, safely uh, while still maintaining social distancing. Um, a lot of the things that we're experiencing in the news cycle have talked about spikes in the numbers of coronavirus and having to backtrack on a number of the uh, reopening procedures that we've been seeing in various states. And this is going to be something that we're going to be working through through the rest of our summer and into the fall. So I would, uh, my professional astrological opinion, seeing all the aspects that we have and the basic common sense of, of the uh, the news cycle, is that we still need to maintain caution and, and try to protect one another as a community the best that we can. Okay, so that's what we've got going on with Friday. Um, let's see. Let's move forward to Saturday. We've got a, a lot of astrology happening over the weekend uh, at the end of this week as far as aspects, morphic stars, and uh, Mercury doing its thing on Sunday. So I'm going to move forward to Saturday. Get rid of my drawings. And on Saturday, July the 11th, um, the moon moves into Aries, so we start to feel the tension between the lights with the moon moving into the cardinal fire sign of Aries, uh, co-present with Mars, so drawing some energy from, from Mars and activating that, very, uh, that tension between Mars, Mercury, and the sun. Um, remember, that, you know, the moon was a, another timekeeper, so it moves so fast through the zodiac, it's like a, a trigger. Um, i 've I've described it as a cylinder a uh, spinning cylinder with with keys on with little um, uh, little i don 't know what are they called little spikes on it of a music box that are striking the tuned keys of the rest of the planets so this may be a point where we 're starting to feel that that tension between that big t square that we have uh, that cardinal t square. The moon is going to be making, is going to be perfecting its, its own square to Mercury retrograde at five degrees of Aries and uh, Cancer. Uh, it will then conjoin Mars at eight degrees of Aries and then sextile Venus at 10 degrees of Gemini. So we have this difficult conversation between the, ca- the Cancerian planets, uh, Mercury and the sun and the moon and Mars, but we do have Venus trying to intercede and bring a little bit of harmony to the table. So we do have one planet, a benefic, that is trying to kind of interject uh, and be kind of a go-between. So that is gonna require just some flexibility. Uh, Venus and Gemini, especially the first deck in there, is, is trying to, um, we're going to be talking about uh, Venus conjoining the fixed star Aldebaran, because this is really one of the, I think the keys to moving through our weekend. So you can see as we move through the day, you know. Venus will move into the 10th degree of Gemini, and this is the area of the zodiac right here that is projected onto the fixed star Aldebaran, which is a very important fixed star, Um, and it is part of the constellation Taurus. Even though we are in the sign of gemini and i'm going to go back to my the sky here just so we can look at this together and see what we're looking at here okay so we'll move forward here to july the 11th and here now we have our horizon line in gray and we've got the sun on the ecliptic the green line and then our celestial equator here in red now what we are looking at is we have venus right here okay if i zoom in a little bit Okay, we have Venus conjoined very closely with the fixed star Aldebaran, which is the eye of the bull. Okay, and we have here we have Orion fighting the bull. Yep, that is Orion. Forgive me if I'm, I don't get them all right at first. I'm still learning the sky and I'm do- doing this exercise so that I become better at my awareness of what we are looking at visually. And what the constellations mean and what we're seeing so I'm still in process i consider myself a an eternal student and again i just want to share my process with you here um, but let's look at the bowl here so we have a few important fixed stars in this constellation of taurus here which we see as projected now in the tropical zodiac in the sign of gemini based on precession, the concept of precession, or the movement of the, the stars or the appearance of those stars over time due to the wobble of the earth. And we have some important fixed stars in this constellation. We have El Noth, which is at the horn of the bull. We have Aldebaran here. And then we have one, an important one, in the shoulder of the bull that's somewhere over here. What is this one? Okay. I don't know. Um, but the one we're talking about today is Aldebaran and Aldebaran is a, it it appears to be sort of reddish in the sky. It is fairly bright. Uh, it is, it was called one of the watchers, uh, the Royal, one of the four Royal fixed stars of Persia, which were marked out in the fixed signs, um, of the Zodiac that were related to the equinoxes. Um, and I believe, uh, well, the beginning of spring and the fall. So we had Aldebaran associated with the spring and, and this constellation Taurus. Regulus was associated with Leo, uh, the lion, and the uh, the summer here. And we had Antares was the heart of the scorpion, and then Fomalhaut was associated with Aquarius okay, I know that now all of those have processed into mutable signs, okay, where we have Aldebaran now in the tropical sign of Gemini, Regulus in the tropical sign of Virgo, Antares in the tropical sign of Sagittarius, and Fomalhaut at three or four degrees of Pisces. But originally, in the sky, uh, Aldebaran was the eye of the bull, Regulus was the heart of the lion, Antares was associated with the heart of the scorpion. And Fomahalt, I believe, was the mouth of the fish that was receiving the water from the water pourer of Aquarius. Okay. And each of these fixed stars uh, was spoken about as providing a test in the Persian mythology um, where you had to face a a particular nemesis. And the fixed star of Aldebaran is associated with. mithras who was a warrior king who was the lord of contracts and we had a challenge one of the challenges of mithras and of aldebaran in general is the challenge of integrity and honor and maintaining your integrity and honor when you are uh, doing a specific task so if we project that onto venus Remember, Venus is what is providing right now. You can see this. This is if we zoom in even more. This is pretty pretty neat. So you can see that brown here in the eye. Venus very very close. Okay, so we don't have to wonder about this one. It is very closely conjoined with that eye of the bull. So when we are having our Mars Mercury square conversation about what is how we provide for one another and how we um, differentiate our individual identities. Venus on Aldebaran in the sign of Gemini, but in the constellation of Taurus, is going to be a test of can we hold some dualities and some opposites and some options and ask questions with integrity rather than perhaps making declarative jupiterian statements now with venus in the sign of gemini it's being provided for by mercury mercury is stationing to a halt we've been reviewing a lot of our belief systems a lot of our thoughts and asking a lot of questions on how we gain the the, uh, the nurturing that we need and how we provide it for others and with venus on aldebaran uh, we are being asked to harmonize some of those opposites that we have had to to hold. Um, remember, Gemini was the twins, and it was holding opposites, right? It was. Uh, we are. We have many options with Mercury, and I've talked about in the forecast before that Mercury is associated with the sign of Virgo and the sign of Gemini, which were transition points to uh, the coming of the power of the darkness or the power of the night. So in Gemini, we have a destabilization of Mercury where we are getting ready for the sun to peak at the summer solstice and then the return of the increase of the nighttime. Whereas in the fall with Mercury, with Virgo, we have a destabilization process that is happening before the the fall equinox where we have the return of the nighttime being longer than the day. So again, that's where we have this association with Mercury and the night. And again, m- remember that uh, Mercury's parents were Zeus and Maya. Maya was the nighttime, and Zeus was, the, was knowledge. So we have kind of this marriage of knowledge, but also this like doubt that is, is coming together. All right. So what I would suggest when Venus is conjoining Aldebaran, uh, if you do have an argument, try to fight fair. Uh, Maintain your composure, your integrity, uh, because you may not pass the test if you uh, submit to some of your more base um, urges, to some of your more, um, I don't know, um, to your animal nature, I would guess, uh, to your more instinctual nature, uh, because that that could manifest as, you know, acting maybe almost like the bull in the china shop right where we're expressing our anger in a way that could be detrimental all right let's move forward to sunday the 12th and i'll move forward here to in my chart and if we look at sunday july the 12th the moon will be moving through the sign of aries still and we 're moving from our disseminating phase into the last quarter phase of our moon cycle, and the last quarter phase begins uh, at about seven twenty eight pm when we have the the, the exact square, but we 're still going to be feeling a ramp up to that tension as the moon moves through this, the whole sign of Aries. But it is going to perfect at seven twenty eight and then we 're going to be dealing with the fallout of that. Um, Mercury is an active player in our day on Sunday. It is going to be stationing direct at 5 degrees of Cancer at 426 a.m. Um, and this is happening in the uh, first decade of Cancer, where we are ready to move forward with uh, questions of how we're providing for one another. Um, at 2.43 p.m., the Sun will be making a trine to Neptune at 20 degrees of Pisces. Now, this also heralds the Sun moving into a new decan. So we'll talk a little bit about the new decade and some of the fixed stars associated with that because we have one very prominent one um, that it will be conjoining on this day uh, named Castor, one of the twins. Um, The only other aspect we have of the day is the the moon will be squaring uh, retrograde Jupiter at 1024 p.m. at 22 degrees of Capricorn. So with our last quarter moon, um, we have a square from the moon to the sun and then it's going to be making a T-square with Jupiter too. So this is part of our story here. So you could see when I move forward to the evening, and we see the exact uh, T-square right here, we've got the Sun at 21 degrees of Cancer, okay? It's squaring uh, the Moon and making an opposition to Jupiter, okay? So this is, this is a moment of tension, for sure. And Jupiter's not happy where it's at. You know, we, we may be wanting to expand. Um, we may be wanting to get people on board with our vision. That's what the third decan of Aries speaks about, is trying to persuade a hostile audience to our um, point of view. It was a, a Venus-ruled decan, um, even though we are in the Temple of Mars. Uh, We are trying to use charisma to convince someone of the soundness of our plan. And the third decan of cancer that that the sun is moving into and bringing the light of our awareness to uh, is a moon-Jupiter ruled decan. It is ruled by the moon in the Chaldean system, the descending Chaldean system, and Jupiter in the triplicity system. And it's associated with the four of cups. And the four of cups in the Rider Waite tarot shows a man who has his arms folded underneath a tree, who has three cups before him that he possesses, and the hand of God offering him a fourth cup that he seems to be refusing. And in my research in places like 36 Faces and in the, uh, in the different tarot books that I've been reading, um, this card is called, um, this card is called, what is it called? Uh, it's called, sorry, my brain is shorting out here. Oh, it is called Luxury in Book T. And Austin Coppock calls this deck in the overflowing cup. So one of the themes that, that comes up with this is a, is a realization about uh, what what to do or coming to terms with what to do with abundance. And in our story, we saw the The planting of a seed, the the union in the first decan of cancer. We saw the celebration and the support through the three graces and the three of cups. Okay, we saw the nurturing of our idea and the expansion of it. And then we are coming to terms with the fact that um, to create abundance, there is an opposite quality of lack. And we come to an awareness. And we may say, oh, maybe we have enough. Maybe we have too much. What do we do with the excess? So with the overflowing cup, we, you know, we've created growth. We've created abundance. But what are we doing with, the, with what we've created? And do we need any more? And this is going to be definitely a question with Jupiter in opposing that sun at 22 degrees of Capricorn because Jupiter is asking us to, to consolidate and to let go. Um, and this this there's definitely some tension here because um, we're normally at a time when we're feeling an over overabundance of things where we're looking to how we're distributing our our wealth and and uh, asking ourselves questions about um, if we are benefiting, does that take away power or resources from somebody else and this question really may be um, highlighted because Jupiter is in a place that is so much about letting go and about composting old old ideas right now. So, or even old material resources and systems being in that third decade of Capricorn. So I think there's going to be some tension with that. Now questions that will arise on this particular period of time. Questions of abundance versus scarcity, dealing with any excesses. How do we deal with the resources that we do have and prepare for potentially um, scarcity that may be on the horizon, and this is something that would it just makes some common sense right now, due to like the possibility that we may experience more backtracking with shutdowns. Um, a, a very prominent astrologer that I'm a fan of, Ann Ortley, has continually spoken about potential for disruptions in the uh, supply chain for for our food systems towards the end of the summer. So that may be something to to be prepared or aware of as we move forward, um, is that we may be seeing the breakdown of some of that, and we have to be judicious with the resources that we do have. Um, we may also be trying to convince others of the soundness of our particular ideas too. With this, the last quarter um, square. Now, the other thing we're seeing uh, with this is Mercury is emerging as a morning star at 5:30 a.m. at five degrees, and this is where we have. Uh, the separation of Mercury from an enough uh, arc of distance where Mercury becomes visible in the sky again out from under the beams. So this could be some kind of prominent announcement that happens or something that comes to light that is very much connected with that Mercury kazimi moment when it was in the heart of the sun that we experienced last week. So review last week and any new ideas and new Um, directions that you're thinking about going and you may see some progress with those over the course of the weekend when Mercury emerges as that morning star. Now the last thing that we'll talk about uh, in relationship to the third decan of Cancer is that we do have three fixed stars that are part of our story of that third decan right now and we'll go back to the sky and we'll move forward here to the 12th and we'll look at this area of the zodiac. Now, again, when we are looking at the sky here, the sun is moving in this direction, okay, through the zodiac, clockwise. It will rise. Uh, I'm sorry. It's going counterclockwise through the zodiac, and it is. It will rise throughout the period of one day, in. Clockwise motion okay so we have these two separate motions the Sun will will rise in the east culminate here in the south and then set in the west over the course of a day in that primary clockwise motion it will continue to move uh, through the zodiac in that secondary motion so what we're seeing now is the the Sun moving across towards the east over the course of many days and what I'm looking at here is we can divide this particular uh, set of lines here into our three decans. So this is our kind of our um, what we're looking at here throughout our sign of our tropical sign of Cancer. So here's decan one, decan two, decan three. So in that first decan we had Alhena and Merzims. If we projected it all the way down. In the second decan, we had Sirius, okay, and Canopus all the way down at the southern horizon. And then here, one of the things that we're really looking at is we have uh, the fixed star, okay, Castor right here. We have Pollux right here, the the two twins. And then we have Procyon, which is the part of the little dog, okay. So Castor is, is, at about, uh, is projected out at about 20 degrees of cancer. Um, Pollux is at about 23 degrees of cancer. And Procyon projects to about 25 to 26 degrees of cancer. So all of those are going to be part of our, our third Deccan story right now. And Castor was, we'll talk more about Castor this week and then talk a little bit more about Pollux as we move forward into next week with Procyon. But we do have to kind of understand the story. And I want to read to you from this book that was sent to me by a a good friend of mine. Her name is Cassidy Juniper. She's a very good astrologer, um, a great note taker. She has a a wonderful Mercury in Virgo. (laughs) so She's very good at these types of things. But sent me this book on classical mythology that I'm very appreciative of. And I wanted to share with you the story of Castor and Pollux, because I think this is going to help inform um, some of the symbolism, not only of the sign of Gemini, but of this particular decan where it sits right now. Okay, so in this chapter, this is classical mythology, third edition, Mark Morford and Robert Lenardin. Okay, we're talking about the Trojan saga here and the children of Leda. Said Leda, the wife of Tyndareus, the king of Spartan, bore four children to Zeus, who visited her in the shape of a swan. The four were born from two eggs. From one sprang Polydeuces, or Pollux, and Helen, and from the other Castor and Clytemnestra. Castor and Polydeuces, Polydeuces have a mythology uh, of, of, their, of excuse me, a mythology of their own quite unconnected with the Trojan War. Known as the Dioscori, i.e. the sons of Zeus, they were heroes on earth and later worshipped as gods. In Homer, they are mortal. When, when Helen in the Iliad describes the Greek leaders to King Priam, she says, Two only can I not see among the leaders of the people, Castor, tamer of the horses, and Polydeuces, skillful in boxing, my own brothers, whom one and the same mother bore, my mother. Homer continues, thus she spake but already the life-giving earth held them there in sparta in their own native land however when odysseus sees leda in his visit to the underworld he refers to them as alive beneath the earth and passing from death to life and vice versa and being honored equally with the gods it was pinder in his 10th nemean ode who established the most famous version of their death and deification they quarreled with the two sons of Apharius, Ideus and Lynceus, over the division of some cattle that the four of them had taken in a raid. And in the subsequent fight, Lynceus and Castor were killed, while Idas was destroyed by a thunderbolt hurled by Zeus. As Castor lay dying, Polydeuces prayed to Zeus that he might die with him. In reply, Zeus gave him the choice either of immortality for himself and the death for Castor, or of living together with Castor on Olympus for one day at a time and spending the next together in Hades. Polydeuces chose the latter latter alternative so that the discori shared immortality and death. As gods, they were especially connected with seafarers to whom they appear as St. Elmo's fire. Okay, so here we see the death of Castor and the sacrifice of Pollux or Polydeuces to be able to give life to one of the twins. So Bernadette Brady speaks about Castor as being a storyteller, a poet, um, a songwriter. He, he represents the bright side of cancer. Okay. Um, she associated it with research, seeking knowledge with the light. Okay. Um, and dealing with polarities of of light and dark. Um, Now, if we bring in Pollux to the mix, Pollux is related to the dark side, the darkness to uh, dealing with something through a difficult trial. And it's interesting to me because we have Pollux as the one making a sacrifice for Castor and and returning Castor to life and after Castor had, had died. So we have this kind of, um, this quality of, and this, I think this is very much married with the questions of abundance and versus scarcity. So remember, as Austin Kopic describes in his book, 36 Faces, when we have questions of abundance, we may be experiencing the death of something else. We, to I know in the capitalist system, a lot of the times, somebody will benefit at someone else's expense. So, to be able to consolidate resources, you have to have haves and have nots. And that might be part of the question that we're experiencing through that third decan of cancer. And again, with this third card, this third decan card, this Four of Cups, we see like almost the refusal for one twin to stay at olympus okay this is pretty neat see that like it's it's refusing the immortality of, of being solely of possession of immortality so that someone else can live so i would say if we are bringing the mythology down back down to earth is there a way that you can use if you have experienced abundance how can you be someone who is sharing some of your abundance, so that someone else may live. You you may be experiencing right now. Um, I know I've seen a lot of people on Facebook who have like lake houses and like they're have uh, an abundance of family and things like that. They're living well, but that is not everyone's experience. Uh, there, are, you know, many others who may be experiencing this this period of of celebration uh, in locales that are. Uh, maybe hit very hard by the virus, or or maybe those folks are hit hard by poverty itself, and maybe thinking about how fortunate uh, you are in, in this lifetime, and how you can share some of your immortality, even if it feels like you are giving something up. And I think that that may be the best way to handle this energy right now, is how can you Find ways to share your abundance with others, so that we can have bring balance back to the force. Because if we are holding on too tightly, and I want to show you something really interesting that's coming up in my brain, or that's fascinating, or that's compelling. I'm trying to look up all my adjectives. Is the opposite card in the zodiac and in the um, rider weight deck is the Four of Pentacles where we're holding on very tightly to the resources that we've built. And this is, the, this is the Deccan that Jupiter, Saturn, and Pluto are moving through, As we are seeing many of the people who are in power right now holding so tightly, so tightly to those resources, where we're seeing this tension with those resources and being asked to distribute the excess wealth to those that may be less fortunate and that tension that we have through it. And maybe with the moon in that last quarter square, uh, there may be some heated debates uh, and trying to um, convince the powers that be to distribute that wealth. I I mean, I just thinking about this off the top of my head, um, this could be a time where we're seeing more um, negotiations regarding potentially like a, maybe a second stimulus uh, or some kind of relief for, for COVID as we move forward into you know, the expansion of limitations that may make it more difficult for people to work. I know that uh, in uh, my own home state of Michigan, they um, shut down the, the, the in-person dining services again. Uh, so it may be harder for those servers to, to make a living or something of that nature. So w- we're definitely seeing a year of contraction but we're moving through the solar time where we're really thinking about what our blessings are and whether we can help others with that as well. Okay. I think that's what I've got for you this week. Uh, We will continue to talk about Pollux and Procyon next week. Um, If I stop my share here for a minute, next week is a little bit quieter in the skies Um, On the 14th, the Sun will be opposing Jupiter retrograde at 22 degrees of Cancer and Capricorn. Um, On Wednesday the 15th, we'll see an opposition with the Sun and Pluto at 23 degrees of uh, Cancer and Capricorn. So the Sun will be conjoining um, Pollux as it opposes both Jupiter and Pluto. Uh, And then the Sun will conjoin Procyon uh, at, at 25 degrees. So we'll talk about the mythology associated with those uh, fixed stars and and dig a little deeper into the third decade of cancer um, hope that you've enjoyed this today remember i will be appearing at the great lakes astrology conference on july the 10th um, my lecture will be at 10 a.m on uh, friday so if you're uh sign up for that make sure you put that on your schedule there's gonna be a lot of other great speakers um, there's uh you know my my, my astrology teacher at truth baba das will be there uh gary Caton, julene lewis um, many more, many more that will be Rick Levine is going to be talking. There's some really great astrologers that are going to be presenting their material. And I apologize if I forgot people, I don't remember all of them off the top of my head, but those are some highlights. Uh, and uh, again, so in addition to the Glock astrology conference, the, the queer astrology conference is happening at the same time. So I wanted to help promote that um, because there are some great astrologers doing some good work there as well. Um, and uh, yeah. And if you're enjoying these, these uh, forecasts, um, you know, leave me a comment. Let me know how you're enjoying the the sky and the the fixed star work. And and I'm trying to streamline the process as much as I can. Let me know how your experience has been with that. And if you see any stories, if any stories come up in your life, I, it's always nice to see feedback. And if if the um, the astrology is matching up with your your practical lived experience, I always enjoy seeing that. Um, and if you're enjoying the forecast, uh, there are some donation links. If you want to do that, make sure that you're sharing and subscribing. And uh, again, the best way that you can support the work I do is reach in out for a reading, um, whether it's a horary reading or a, a natal reading or a transit reading. Um, I'm more than happy to help you with with those services. And um, yeah, so have a great week. I hope that you've survived eclipse season. Um, buckle down for a, for a very... Um, a unique summer that is has a lot of historical i think will have a lot of su- historical significance, and uh, remember this is the some of the consolidation before the new birth that we're going to be seeing of a, a fairly new paradigm um, and a new an, a new epoch uh, of those Jupiter Saturn conjunctions and air signs so just have patience with the process. this too shall pass, um, and I hope that you 're doing okay out there and that you 're Um, practicing all your self-care and, uh, you know, reaching out to those that you love and staying connected as best that you can. So I will talk to you soon, everyone. Um, Take care. Peace.